You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Detroit Uncensored. All things Detroit. Real talk, no holding back, no holds barred. Welcome to Detroit Censored, Uncensored. How are you? How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm excited to have you in the studio. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have Mike Detmer in studio, a true constitutional patriot. He is running in the Republican primaries in the U.S. Cong- Michigan U.S. Congress 8th Congressional District. Uh, that is Ingham County, Livingston County, and North Oakland. Um, today, we're going to be going over quite a few things, uh, the current state of affairs of Michigan and the we will talk a little bit about your opponents. Sure. And we'll talk a little bit about the Democratic opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most importantly, I want to go over your contract with Michigan so you can get that message out to people in my particular generation, uh, in my demographic, people that I've been talking to that are going to be watching today and some of the issues that are important to them. Yep. So let's start off. Uh, tell us a little about yourself, where you're from. Um, I, know, you know, I know a lot of your, your, your supporters know, sure. but this is for kind of – the people that I've been speaking to. Well, if you want to go way back, I was actually born and raised in northern Michigan, a little town called Fife Lake, which is uh, 25 miles southeast of Traverse City. And my family grew Christmas trees. And my, my mom and dad had a little small real estate office up there. And so, you know, from the time I was uh, infant all the way up until I was a freshman in high school, that's where I was. And then when I was a freshman, my folks moved me down to Rochester Hills. Okay. So I went to uh, Adams High. I graduated from Adams, and then I went on to Oakland University. I was the uh, college Republican president there for a <laughs> while, and then I, after college, I um, I actually did run for office. I ran for uh, state rep. I was 22 years old, had no idea about life, <laughs> and uh, I didn't. Uh, I went out and did a little bit of campaigning, but then got sidetracked with with the rest of life, and uh, never. Fin- I was on the ballot. I, we had it was an open seat. That's when term limits were brand new. So I came in yeah. four out of five. So it was a good experience, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't anywhere close to being ready for this. Yeah, I, um, I understand that. Yeah. When we actually first met, I was considering <clears throat> potentially running in the 11th. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I was like, no, 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 no. I have to get a little bit more polished. You know, I'm not. <laughs> well, you know what? And here's what happened, too. When I was, when I was 22 after that, um, shortly thereafter, I met my wife mm-hmm. and we started a family. And, you know, you get – you get into the the rut of you've got a family to take care of. And my son is um, my, my wife at the time before we got married, she was a single mom mm. and with a special needs son. And uh, Zach is profoundly deaf. Mm-hmm. So when I met her, um, you know, my priority wasn't politics. It wasn't yeah. anything like that. It was uh, earning a living and making sure that um, he was taken care of and that she was taken care of. And then later on, we had our daughter. After we got married, we had our daughter Ainsley. And you know, you just wait. wait what's your daughter's name? Ainsley. That's my daughter's name too. Is it really? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely, Ainsley. Ainsley Vera Humphrey. Very good. Yeah. yeah. I never knew that. Yep. So you know, but you get you get involved in life. But as as time went on, and especially coming back to Michigan, Zach was. We started off in Rochester Hills, and our as our son got a little bit older and got to school age, we figured out that there was not adequate education for him uh, in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So we actually, um, we left for Kansas mm-hmm. of, all, of all places. 
but it was a, a way for him to get the education that he needed. And then later on, when he got into high school, we ended up moving again down to Florida so he could finish. He actually went to a school there where he was able to graduate with honors. We wanted to make sure that our boy got better than the third grade education, yeah. which is what he was facing at the time. Yeah. So education is a big deal to me too. No, I believe it. Um, and we came back here and we our daughter's in school. She's in high school now. Uh, she's going to be a sophomore this year. But uh, five years ago, we came back to Michigan and it, it broke my heart because Michigan at one time was one of the biggest powerhouses in this country. And we've got family here. We've got friends here. And I see Michigan is is still clawing its way back from the 2008 recession. Yeah, the lost decade. It's the lost decade. And now we have all of this with COVID. Um, but my decision to run even predates COVID. It goes mm-hmm. back to a year and a half ago. I, I remember. Yeah. I, and, I, and I was following I, you on Facebook at the time. But after after the last election, I it, it just kind of hit me. I said, you know what? Either I can sit back and wait for some candidate to come along uh, who shares my values and has my the fire I have – to go upset the apple cart, or I can jump in and do this. It wasn't something that I wanted to ever do again. So I made the yeah. decision. And originally, it was a state rep run. I remember. And in Livingston County, we have an open seat again. So <clears throat> I put my name in the hat. And we were really doing well. And it really came down to last summer. People were asking me, who is going to step up and challenge Alyssa Slotkin? And I kept saying, we need to have a strong conservative that will step forward and challenge her. And there was nobody. So I had a lot of supporters at that point in time saying, Mike, why don't you shift gears? I was one of them. Yeah, you were one of them. <laughs> you were one of them. And it was, that was a tough decision. That was a big prayer to the, to the big guy upstairs and looking at, is this even viable? Can we do it? Because Livingston County is a big county. Yeah. But now we're talking about adding all of Ingham, mm-hmm. all of Livingston, and the northern third of Oakland County into this, which means a bigger team. It means more money. It means everything. And different demographics, too. And, and different <laughs> demographics. And so I, hey, I prayed. I, I prayed to God to open the door. If this is what you want me to do, open the door wide. And at that point in time, within a very short span of time, we assembled just an incredible team. I would agree with that. And we've moved forward. And here we are today. And one of my biggest pet peeves as a voter was always you elect somebody and then you don't see them again for a couple of years. Yeah. You don't know what they're doing. You don't really know what they're about. You don't know if they had an action plan. Usually you get talking points and platitudes. Well, yeah. I support this or I support that. Okay, but what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going to sit there for two years or are you actually going to go take the fight to them? So the contract with Michigan is all about here's the action plan, not only just the talking points and platitudes. When you look at the contract, you've got line items. Yep. But when you delve into it on my website, you can get in and actually read the specifics of what my plan is and what the ideas are behind it and how I'm going to tackle these things. Because I wanted to give the voters something that I've been longing for from elected officials forever. It's give me your plan. Give me your ideas. But for a lot of candidates and politicians out there, that's risky because that means now that you've put it all on the line, uh, you're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. You're accountable for it. And if you fail, well, you risk not getting Mm reelected. But it's that important. Our state is that important. Our country is that important. And it, we can't have politics as usual. We can't have the same old thing. We have to put action out there. We've got to put a plan out there. And I've told people, look, none of this that I've laid out in the contract is going to be easy. It's mm-hmm. going to be a fight from day one. 
But I went to Washington, D.C. back in March. I met with Andy Biggs and Jim Jordan with Freedom Caucus, laid out, told them what I was doing, showed them what the plans were, got some consensus from them that, yes, we can work with this. So I can hit the ground running on day one and not just sit back on my laurels and, and wait for someone to tell me what to do. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. The people of the 8th District need to be represented and there's work to be done. Yeah. So that's what that's all about. That it's it's a it's about the the most important issues that the people of the eighth district say are the most important to them and to me, mm-hmm. from the economy to healthcare to veterans issues to the Second Amendment to life to border security. It's all there. Yeah, it, and <clears throat> I, I will say this. You know, we're, we're in a political climate right now, and I'll just speak to the presidential election. Mm-hmm. People are voting for someone because it's like, for example, people are voting for Biden because they don't like Trump. Some people are voting for Trump because they don't like Biden. Sure. Uh, I can personally say that I am a big supporter of yours and I, and I like it because I can say I actually believe in what you're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And many of your views we, – we have differences. We've talked about them. Sure. But many of your views align with mine. And I, it's funny because I've done a lot of independent research and then I'll see you speaking about the same exact thing. And then I'll think, Mike, are you reading my mind? <laughs> you know? So – you know, I, I think it's great. Um, I, I think it's great. I, I think one of the things you once said was, you know, this isn't something I wanted to do. Right. It's something I felt compelled to do because my yeah. love of this country. Well, and the, the selfish part of this whole thing for me is I'm looking at my kids. You know, I have a special needs son and I have a daughter who is she's, – she's brilliant. She's beautiful and she's got big plans. And so the selfish part of this is I want to make sure that there's something out there for them. I, I want to make sure that we have a state left and we have a country left. So they can have children if they wish. And so that way uh, they can do better than I did. Uh, for me, on a personal level, to just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, there goes the, there goes the country, I, I can't do it. I can't just sit back and, and hope that somebody comes along that I can vote for that's going to go out there and take the fire to Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm 44 years old, and I'm old enough to know better at this point in time, and I've seen a lot. There are some really good people in Washington, D.C. I've met some. But we got to have more of them. Yeah, we've got to replace the the swamp dwellers mm-hmm. with good, solid patriots who are who get it. I agree with you, and and and, and one thing I like to point out is that you're, you you believe that with Democrats and Republicans as oh, well, yeah, for sure. And I'm a big I'm a big proponent because I'm 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 a little bit younger. I'm ten years younger than you, and <clears throat> you know one thing that Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez did. And, and, you know, I disagree with almost mm-hmm. pretty much everything. But uh, one thing I said I give her credit for is she said she wanted to try to make change and she primaried yep. someone who was very, very comfortable and won. That's right. And I think if, you know, people like myself or, or even people in my age group, you know, if we see even a Republican that uh, is getting complacent, mm-hmm. we need to start primarying those people. Yeah. Even if they win, we need to make them go out and still speak to the values of the people of the district. Well, yeah, that's right. that, absolutely right. And you've got to be open and accessible. And I think what happens too often is especially millennials don't get involved. Um, they're very apathetic because they've heard it their whole life. They've heard their parents talking about politicians. We elect somebody to office and we think we got one thing and we got something else. And what it came down to is that whoever that candidate was was pandering to mm-hmm. to them. They had no intention of following through. And as long as they had enough money to uh, win re-election and you know, mm-hmm. maybe grab some other voters to get them over the finish line, that was good enough. Well, that's not good enough anymore. And so we've got to have people that are going to step up. And I'm encouraging young people to get out, millennials to get out. 
even older people to get out and vote. You know, we're, yeah. we're looking at primaries are one of the most important elections you can have. Yeah. I see people say all the time, well, I'm going to vote red or I'm going to vote blue. Well, it, there's more to it than that. Yeah. If you want positive change, if you want somebody that's going to stand up for our freedoms, you have to get involved. It's not enough to just rely on the candidates to get the information out. Voters need to do their due diligence. Mm-hmm. I put everything out there. If you Google me, if you, if you go into my website, it's all there. But I want voters to make a decision based on what they see of me and what they see compared to everybody else and go, okay, this guy is the real deal. This guy has put it all on the line. That's who I want. Make that decision based on that. I, 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 I've, heard, I've heard you tell voters that in person, on your videos, mm-hmm. and, and I can't agree with that more. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm a big supporter of John James. I'm a huge supporter of you, people that I believe in, and so that that's why I'm so active in your campaign. And I've been working right. to get the, the, the typical voter that only votes in big elections to come out this primary. That's been yeah. my primary focus. Well, the average is about 13% of registered voters actually vote in primaries. That's traditionally mm-hmm. been what it's what the numbers are. 13%. Uh, I've looked at all of the numbers for the last six election cycles, and it's it's been that way every time. You have some spikes here and there. I'm hoping the, the turnout's even bigger this time. I do too. I, but that means that, that people are waking up and they're getting involved, and, and it's that's what it's all about. But just – I've encouraged people for the last year and a half, do your due diligence. Look at everybody. Ask the tough questions. I've been an open book. You can ask me any question. I just had a a, a text debate with a gentleman last night over a couple issues. We didn't agree on everything. I mean, we we, we parted company with our conversation, still disagreeing on some things. But he came back and he said, you know what? You didn't pander to me. You stood your ground. You've got a backbone. You've got my vote. You've got my family's vote. That's what – that's what this is all about. It's look, we we're not going to agree on everything. Again, you agree where you can, you disagree where you must, and you build on what you have. You've mm-hmm. got to find that nugget there without sacrificing core principles. Yeah. And this idea, and I'm sick of it. Yeah, I hear Republicans say, "I want to reach across the aisle." That's code word for I'm going to capitulate with the Democrats. The Democrats are going to keep uh, requiring that Republicans cave as long as Republicans keep caving. I agree. I agree. We have to win on principle. We have to win on ideas. We have to win on constitutionality. We've got to win on supporting the people that actually sent us there to start with. I agree. And representing. And we fight those battles and we represent the people and we we put God, the Constitution, and the people first. We win. And the others will fall in line. That's what has to happen. We have to stop running scared. Well, the, you know, and, and I, I also point out there's certain issues where everybody should agree on, but we are in a politically divisive world. Like mm-hmm. when we're talking about taking care of our vets, I don't understand how it would be possible for both parties not to be able to sit down at the table and come yeah. out with a comprehensive plan to take care of them. And uh, and, and and other really, this next stimulus bill that's coming through for COVID, there should really be no disagreement on it. But from what I'm hearing, and you may know a little bit better than me, they're trying to push some infringements on the Second Amendment in yeah. through it, um, some more funding, to, you know, pork barrel spending, and it's not going to go directly to the people. And there's another thing that maybe you can speak a little bit more on. This is like I, I'm sick and tired of hearing people were bailing out corporations. First of all, mm-hmm. it's not the corporation's fault in this particular matter. Correct. We, I, I had a, I saw a study that said our GDP went down this quarter 34 percent, worst ever. Uh, besides the Great Depression, way worse than the Great Recession. And I, I sent out a thing on the Detroit on Center. I said, this is a self-inflicted wound. We did this to ourselves. The free market would have done done it already because mm-hmm. people would have stayed away. But we are literally – we're destroying the economy. Yeah. 
And so, you know, and I think that if we we need to get money to corporations because, I, like I've said a thousand times, there's stakeholders, not sh- not necessarily just shareholders. There are shareholders, but there's so many stakeholders in big corporations. And I use Ford as an example. You have the workers, you have the unions, you have the insurance companies, you have the maintenance staff in the buildings, you have the car transporters, you have the car dealerships, you have mm-hmm. the people that insure the car dealerships, you have the people that buy the cars, sure, you have the gas, you got all of it. Boom, 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 boom. And then all of them lose clients and then another company goes boom, 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 boom. And everybody talks about how the CEO is going to get rich. Well, that's one person. Mm-hmm. But if you save the jobs of 17,000 people at $70,000 a year, $50,000 a year, it's worth it. Yeah. And that's, that, that's my opinion. And I th- also see where you know, there's an opportunity for a little bit of greed. You know, when you're yeah. pushing something through that fast, there's going to be some greed. But if you also – I mean look at, the, look at the last bill, the Kennedy Center. Sure. There's Kennedy oh, yeah. Performing Arts Center. Yep. NASA, the Postal and they're, Service. And they're, they're using the dire situation that we're in to push their own pork bell, barrel yeah. special interest spending. And that's wrong. It, yeah. It's totally wrong. The, the solution here, the, the bigger solution is open the country and leave it open. It's hard enough for businesses right now with COVID and the fear that's running rampant through our society to do business. People are afraid to go in. They're, you, know, you see people riding around in their cars with masks mm-hmm. on or walking outside with masks on, which – yeah, I get it if you're inside a, a confined area, mm. but not outside. But that that just goes to the amount of fear that's yeah. there. So it's very, very difficult. Um, and we've got not just Michigan, but other states that are, that are threatening to close everything down again. And this is just um, – It's the tip of the iceberg. It, it, it's, it's terrible. You know, it's terrible. If, 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 and we cannot continue to bail – to send – you know, just to bail out yeah. because the money's going to run out. And, and I foresee that – in the next 30, 90, 180 days, we're going to see a lot of foreclosures and evictions. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. Yeah. And it's going to – I told people – even when this first started, I said, you know, we need to make sure – we shouldn't be discussing whether or not we need to be open or closed. We need to be discussing right now how to keep the economy open That's safely. Right. That's right. From the whole time, safely. But you have to look at it from a constitutional standpoint too. There mm-hmm. is the, – the government has no authority – to close down free market. Yeah. They just do not. Not in this country, they don't. Now, there is Supreme Court precedent out there for taking sick people and quarantining them away mm-hmm. from healthy people. But never before in our history have we ever shut down an entire country and quarantine otherwise healthy people. Well, let's just call that forced isolation. Quarantine is only for the verified sick. There it is. And so what <laughs> you have, though, is you've got, a, uh, for lack of a better word, an enslavement of the American people. For something they may or may not have, something that has a, a 99.9% survivability rate. That's ridiculous. Uh, it was worse with H1N1, yeah. but yet we didn't close down the world then and, and we didn't close down the country then. And to even add to that, I think we're foolish to believe that the government can protect us from a, a the, pathogen virus. It, it, we, listen, mankind has been facing some nasty stuff since the beginning. Uh, you, you know, you, scientists are studying mummies now in Egypt, and guess what? They had high blood pressure, and they had diabetes, and they had mm-hmm. all of the things that we have today. And that was, you know, two, three thousand years ago. It was the same condition. So, did, do do you stop and put life on hold because of a fear that you might die? Well, everybody's going to die. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And if you're somebody of faith, what is there to fear? Because at some point in time, we're going to go. It's just a matter of when. And I don't believe that it's – I believe it, it firmly is in the, the providence of God when that happens. Now, does that mean that you go and act irresponsibly? No. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that you shut down and hide in your basement or, or in the corner for fear that you might catch something? That's ridiculous. 
that, no. that can't happen. That destroys that destroys our society if we continue down this road. So we need to open up, be smart, be cautious if if need be, but let's get going. And, and I've also heard you say a thousand times, if a private business wants you to wear a mask, you know you wear a mask. It's up to the business. Yeah, it's their choice. It's their choice. What I don't like about the executive order is it, it, it kind of deputizes business orders and forces their hand saying – That's right. You know, if these people don't wear a mask, well, some, some business owners don't – you know, like right. what about a restaurant? Yeah. And those people were hit first mm-hmm. and now the second wave is about to get hit. The third wave is going to be about to get hit. They're going to shut down even more. Sure. You know, that's the rumor at least. Yeah. And I was reading an article, you know – we may not actually get out of this economically until the late end of 2022 or early 2023 to start to recover if we continue down this path. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I want to get back to something that you, you just touched on, which was veterans. And that's one of the things in my contract with Michigan. Yeah. Um, and, and you're a veteran. Uh, I'm not. You're not. Okay. I'm not. I know a lot of veterans that one of the, the biggest issues that they've told me, it's it's – it's not going to the doctor and saying, well, you've got PTSD, and then yes. they send you home. It's making the transition from the combat zone to civilian life, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that our government has really failed on. Now, there are a couple pieces of legislation going through Congress right now, and they're they're stalled out, but what it would do, there's a lot of local organizations. You've seen them on TV. There's, there's different mm-hmm. organizations all over the country and across Michigan um, that are – they have specific, maybe specific uh, specialties mm-hmm. for being able to help certain veterans on certain issues. Um, there are all these groups out there, and they need help. They need yeah. money. So one of the things that's going through Congress right now, which I support, is block grants, which some of these groups can apply to, which would help the funding to be able to help veterans on a local level versus trying to go to the VA and, and have you told, well, yeah, you've got PTSD, and yep. here, take some medication and see you. Then maybe come back, wait in line. Yeah, or- so let's actually have – have the resources available with some of these local nonprofits that specialize in helping our vets, our men and women in uniform, from going from the combat zone back to civilian life so they can live a normal life and not not have to worry about it anymore and yeah. get true help. That's what's in my contract with Michigan. That's something that I want to go help. That's something that's already in process. I want to be an extra vote there to help push that concept through. That That is, that is an issue that is – Top, if, if not the most important issue in any in any campaign right now, yeah. uh, my my number one issue. I look at it and I'm like, all right, we need to make sure that we, you know, these guys are putting to the, to the max. We ask them to 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 defy the laws of nature. They have to be willing to kill and they have to be willing to die. They have to, you know, Marines are kicking down thirty doors a day in high stress situations. Sure, um, you know, some of them can handle it, but then also I look at, you know, how many how many RPGs go off over people's heads, uh, breachers getting concussions, you know, TBIs coming home and being untreated. I mean, if football can do a study on it and stop head injuries, we really need to look at what's going on with 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 concussive waves hitting people when they're mm-hmm. breaching doors. I I know a breach. I knew a, a, not I, not necessarily a breacher, but. A, um, my friends would tell me when the breach would hit the door, they'd try to find a place to hide, you know, to get out of it. But sometimes they just had to turn their back, plug their ears, open their mouth and eat it. Yeah. You know, or they're throwing concussion grenades in and, and, and you know, that head, head injury is proven to provide suicide in football players. And I think that's a, a lot of what's going on out there. And I also think a, a, another good plan, and I'm not sure if you thought of that, but this is, this is something I always think about. You know, when, when a vet comes home, give them – an extended R&R with their family. Sure. 
You know, like absolutely. Let, let them go on vacation. Yeah. You know, let the, they, don't, they don't. They don't need to be in a war zone. Wednesday, mm-hmm. fly back and join real life the following Wednesday. Well, it's not going to happen anyway. Yeah. 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 You're, you're forcing a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, make it a normal thing. Make it like, mm-hmm. listen, we understand we asked you to do something that, that no one else will do. Yeah. It's okay to talk to somebody because it's not – it's really not normal what they do. They go out and kill people. You, yeah. you know what I That's mean? That's right. And That's right. They need to get you know, and I also think we could do stuff with family members mm-hmm. of vets. You know, teach spouses how to recognize early signs of something when something may go wrong. How to communicate with with their spouse. Absolutely. Uh, to to get help. And so those are some things that that, that I just want to throw out there. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, it's something that really it's it's because see and it's, and it's and it's input like you're giving. It's input like that. The, and then taking that input, your input, and input of, of ever, other veterans that are saying, "Hey, here's here's what I went through. These are the things that I've. I, these are the roadblocks that I've been up against. These are the, these are the successes that we've had. This is all information that needs to be conveyed. And too often, it's so hard to be able to reach your your U.S. rep or your U.S. senator to be able to even convey this information. Good luck getting through. You usually, get a staffer in a in a in a form email back. And there, therein lies the problem. There's the frustration. So, so tell us what you're going to do because I, I, I know exactly what you're. What, yeah. what, so t- during this campaign, t- mm-hmm. tell people what you've done with your, your personal information, and your accessibility. Well, I was told I was crazy right off the bat because I put my cell phone out there in the public domain, and I was told, Mike, you're you're, you're crazy. You're, they're going to spam your phone. And I said, you know, let them spam the phone. That's how we met. That's how we met. Yeah. But you know what? People don't spam. Have I had some nasty phone calls? Sure. Yeah. Have I had more than the, than the, the the nasty that were positive? Oh sure. Oh yeah. Every every day, um, people can text me. They I'm, I'm available on social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I just open up an account in Parlor. Uh, they can email me, and people do that. And I love the feedback. I, I love the ability to be able to have a debate. What I don't really uh, like is the the nastiness. Yeah, and that's par for the course. But when you have people that just want to uh, call you up and scream at you, you know, that's there's no debate there. there. There's no conversation there. There's no meaningful input there. No, we don't have to agree. But let me know what your opinion is. Just don't be nasty about it. I'm not going to be nasty to you about it. No, but let's let's keep it positive and let's find that common ground. Let's find that nugget. If if we yeah. totally disagree on something, but there's something one little nugget there that we can build on, let's do that. Yeah. Um, but ideas. I love it. I, and I, one of the greatest things with this campaign, I got to tell you, is is that all of the feedback and just you know people will will text me or they'll they'll call me and be surprised that I actually answer the phone. Yeah, and it's just some some little nugget or, or some little thing that they wanted to just get across, and that's great. And it's going to stay that way. And that's one of the things too that there are a few reps in D.C. that actually have an open line of communication with their constituents. It can be done, but it's not it's not easy. It's difficult. Um, but we're going to make sure that that happens because I want people to to feel free to call or email or message and get real feedback, not just from some staffer, but actually from their representative, the person that they hired to go do the job. Yeah. Beyond that, though, I'm not going to be living in D.C. I'll, I'll fly in on Monday, do the business. I'll stay there for the week. If they're in session Monday through Friday, I'll stay there for the week uh, and then fly back on the weekends. My My family's here. The the people that send me to Washington are Washington are here. They're not in Washington yeah. D.C. 
why would I spend any extra time there than I have to? I want to be back here with with the people that that sent me there. Yeah, I agree. You know, one thing I saw that that I think you uh, you had mentioned is that yeah, you're gonna you're willing to post your the the, the congressional legislative agenda. Yeah, uh, open and be completely transparent right. on the issues that are going up. Uh, potentially even offering up polls on what people think, how mm-hmm. you should vote on. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not sure if that was exactly the case, but you wanted to get their opinions. Well, sure. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's, that's first and foremost. So a lot of times people have to do a lot of digging to figure out what's going on in D.C. And so what we're going to have on the website is uh, every piece of legislation that I'm working on and everything that I'm going to be expected to vote on will be posted. We'll put down – we'll have a column for if these are sponsored by Democrats, if these are sponsored by Republicans or somewhere in between. There's going to be a synopsis on each bill so that way if you don't want to read all of the legalese of each piece of legislation, you can go and look at the synopsis. But I would encourage everybody to do their own reading anyway because yeah. that the synopsis is just an, an opinion really. Yeah. And they're going to get my spin on it. They're going to get my take on it, what I think of this bill, what I think the, the heart of the, the bill is. And then I'm going to encourage them to comment. And that's going to be open. And some people said, well, Mike, that's a bad idea. You're going to have a lot of Democrats. So what? Let people comment on what their opinion is on that legislation. And then when I'm back in district, we're going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about, okay, this is, this is the legislation. If you went to the website, it's there. I'll have copies of it. Let's talk about this. And I'm going to tell you this is how I'm leaning. This is where I'm, wh- why I'm going to vote this way, why it's going to be a yay or an A. Yay or an a. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if the people – of the district say, you know, Mike, I think you're wrong on this one. Well, then then we'll change course as long as it doesn't violate my core principles as a human being mm-hmm. um, and as a Christian and as a conservative, yeah. then I'll consider that. But um, that's what that's all about. We, we need to have engagement. People have to be involved. And a lot of times it's tough for them to be involved because they have no idea unless they go digging what's going on. Yeah. They don't know who, how their rep's going to go. They might have a general idea. But then too often they're surprised. Well, why did why did Rep. So and So vote that way? We we thought he or she was a Republican. Yeah. Um, so again, that that is part of the the narrative that I want to change. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So let's let's go into the your contract to Michigan here. I'm going to pull it up, and we'll just kind of walk through it. I love it. I mean, I I agree. It's it's right on point with everything that. I would have been for, <laughs> you know, it's just amazing how much we, we agree on. So Michigan economy, talk to me about how you're going to help bring jobs to Michigan um, and what you mean by codifying the president and executive orders about buying American and hiring American mm-hmm. along with no tax hikes. So one of the biggest purchasers in the country is the, the federal government. Mm-hmm. And you have the Buy American, Hire American Act of 1933, but there were holes there. And so what we had, especially after NAFTA, is we had a lot of things. If if the government was buying uh, planes or military equipment or carpeting for an office, there 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 was no real mandate there to buy only from the U.S. from U.S. suppliers and manufacturers. So what the president did is he signed three separate executive orders, which make it basically mandatory. For any time that the, the federal government buys anything, it has to come from here. It has to be materials from here, labor from here. But the next president, God forbid Joe Biden wins, those executive orders are like they're written in pencil. He, yeah, can, no. he can go and erase yeah. that. So we have to codify that. We've got to put that into law that um, any time the, the government buys anything at all, it's it's got to come from here in the, in the U.S. But beyond that, we need to have somebody there saying, hey, look at Michigan because we've got – 
We've got the people. We've got the infrastructure. We have the natural resources. We can do this. Give us the shot. And and that's really what it comes down to is whoever the squeakier, squeakier wheel is uh, gets the look. But we've got to do things that are smart. You yeah. know, Michigan's um, Michigan's got to get, has to improve its infrastructure. You know, we've we've got to get on the ball with that. So again, we've got to have somebody that's willing to go fight and do the things to make it it possible. Number one, hey, we're losing we're losing population. We're probably going to lose one, maybe two congressional districts after the census because you, of all the people that have left this state. You know, it, it, and it. Is, is, have they been leaving more recently because sure. they were coming back for a minute? Yeah, they were. Well, uh, here's what happened too. During the shutdown, uh, people that had maybe houses under construction uh, or were scheduled to close, they couldn't come back in. If they were from out of state, they couldn't come in and do that. You couldn't get inspectors to go out and do final yeah. inspections. You couldn't get appraisers to go out. Uh, it was illegal for eight real estate agents to go out. So a lot of people said, hey, you know what? Scrap it. And builders were stuck with the home. So here's a you know, here's a house that they're building, and the people are out the money, but they just didn't come. They said, we're not going to play this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, if if you've got companies and people leaving states like New York and California, where are they going? They're going to where taxes are friendlier. They're going, if it's a business, they're going to go where regulations are friendlier. Mm-hmm. They're going to states like Texas, Florida, the Carolinas. And I'm saying, you know what, Michigan's somewhere around number 35 as far as where they're looking at out of all of the states' rankings uh, that has to change. So we've got to make Michigan appealing for those companies that are leaving other states to come in. But we've also got to protect the companies that are here already. We've got to make sure that, you know, just like wiping out unnecessary regulation. I'll give you an example. Um, COVID's a great example of this with, with our, our medicines, uh, our drugs. Big Pharma has lobbied Congress for years to pass some of the most ridiculous and stringent regulations, which have run smaller pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies out of business. <laughs> And you look at Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico used to be a, a hub of small pharma companies, and they're gone. So my argument is, okay, it would be great to bring it all back. We, we, we cannot rely on China anymore. We have to bring back all of our uh, yes. pharmaceuticals from China, manufacture them here. But we're relying on four big pharmaceutical companies, and they've been outsourcing for years, and they've designed it that way. So they pushed Congress to have these ridiculous regulations, which ran all of their competitors competitors out of business, and then they outsourced to where the labor's cheap and where the where they don't have to follow those same regulations to manufacture the same drugs here, which also has a brutal communist regime. And when you have a a, a, a state like China that's saying, you know what, we're going to shut down the exports of mm-hmm. uh, you know whatever it is, yeah, uh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. So. My argument is, well, let's have, let's have it all done here. But the first step is, is we have to deregulate the pharmaceutical industry. Now, on the surface, well, why would you do that? Understand that it was big pharma who pushed for these regulations to start with. If you want to bring drug prices down and you want to make sure that we don't have to rely on drugs coming in from other countries like China, you've got to allow smaller companies to be able to operate. Yeah. So, for instance, if you're developing, let's say, a vaccine for something. You can't even go to trials unless you've got a facility already in place that can manufacture this this thing in mass and be able to distribute it. You can't do it. You have to have everything in place. You've got to have the, the capital expenditure to be able to have the facilities to do everything. You Every, can't, everything in-house. You can't yeah, everything in-house. It's all got to be right there. Okay. And, and for a small startup, where are you going to get the capital for that? It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. So those are things that we have to look at to start the ball rolling. Once we start to deregulate and get those ridiculous regulations out of the way, now we can say, okay, Michigan is a, is a great place to have 
uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing. Let's invite companies to come to Michigan. With deregulation, we can help also lower costs. Absolutely. And and that's something that I think – well, it's such on your health care plan and, and it's, it's, it's another thing I agree on because I, th- I think, you know, a lot of people talking about universal health care. Mm-hmm. I know you're against that. Yep. I'm against it too. I've told you my reasons. I'm going to tell everybody here that's listening the story. My wife is from Soviet Russia. Uh, she came here in 1992. Uh, and when you when you have universal health care and, and there's no capitalist incentive for more experimental treatments, newer improved um, procedures, um, I'll just give you an example. Um, my wife got her tonsils out. I think I told you this the first day I met you. What they essentially put them in the gym, put her in a gym, which was it's kind of how it was explained to me. Put an X-ray cloth on her with a trough, poured vodka down her throat, snipped them out, and just let her bleed. So when they moved here, the hardest decision their parents had to make was what flavor of anesthesia do you want for your son? Yeah. And her mother was her mother was crying, upset, like couldn't believe the differences. And they're super pro pro Republican. They they hate they you know Russian culture is beautiful. The government's a different thing. Uh, another example. They're still using electroshock therapy in Russia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's outdated. They're, they're not using the funds to 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 incentivize new psychotherapy. Yeah. And then um, I know when my daughter was or not my daughter, but uh, my my wife was born. Um, my father in law was not allowed to see her for three days. So her mother had to hold her out a window, and like uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, like what it's like. Yeah. And so I just, I, I just, I, I, I can't be for it. Well, here's what happens: we we had, we still have the greatest healthcare in the world, one of the greatest. I believe it. Yeah. And what you what you had with Obamacare is you it was an abject abject disaster. We people the American people were, were promised that their their insurance rates were going to go down, their premiums would go down, uh, their Untripled. deductibles would go down. Yeah, and everybody's went up. But then when you had the federal government get involved, we lost doctors. We lost we lost some of the best people on earth, and they just they left the field. Mm-hmm. They they walked off. They, but they had, a lot of them had no choice but to walk away. The solution isn't getting the federal government involved. It's taking health care back away from the federal government and putting it back in the hands of the states. You can take the money that's already been set aside, which wouldn't raise taxes or add to the deficit, money that's already been set aside for Obamacare. You can uh, create block grants, give them back to the states to cover things like preexisting conditions mm-hmm. uh, or mental health. That's yeah. another big one because a lot of insurance companies, unless you have a Cadillac plan, won't cover mental health. Yeah. Um, so we can do those things, but by bringing uh, healthcare back to the states, um, bringing it back to patients and their doctors, and then also opening up uh, s- state boundaries to be able to shop for health insurance, free market gets involved. All of a sudden, now we actually see we should see cheaper healthcare, better healthcare, more personalized healthcare, yeah. and that's but that's what has to happen. Is that going to be easy to pull off? No. But there is some. There, there's a lot of people in Congress right now that are fighting for that very same thing. And by the way, my health care plan, which is on my website, I actually adopted that from the Heritage Foundation. I modified it to include pre-existing conditions and mental yep. health. I, I see it right here. Yeah. You know, I've I've always said that you know I, I universal health care and everybody thinks it's going to be cheaper. I say you know let's get the price gouging out. If you look at it, Medicare for all, for instance, that you you see the the Democrats pitching right now. That's on a on the low end, that's going to cost this country three point five trillion dollars a year. 
Three point five trillion dollars. That's a whole. Year. That's just that's point. We spend two trillion about, less than our national debt. Roughly, that, that, that's correct. We spend about seven trillion dollars a year right now. So now we're going to add three and a half, and that's on the low end. I've heard upwards of eight, nine trillion dollars a year for single payer health care. We can't afford that. How are we going to pay for that? That that, that and, and then it's going to be substandard at best. Why would we do that? Let's bring it back. Let's let free market fix this, and that will bring costs down. You deregulate big pharma, the pharmaceutical industry. Let's get smaller manufacturers back. You're going to see reductions in your drug costs. And we bring healthcare back to the states, back to the people, back to their doctors. Now, all of a sudden, we've got the best, the very best in the world, bar none, hands down. But it has to be that way. I like that. So let's touch on... My man here, the leader of Livingston County's Second Amendment movement, the two-way movement. Yeah. All right. So your your contract here, you're going to defend the Second Amendment at all costs. I absolutely believe that. I've seen it. No further infringements, confiscations, or red flag laws will stand and will also begin to roll back infringements already on the books. Yeah. We, it, we could spend a whole show talking about – This is about, something that's important to my people. Yeah. I can tell you that. And we could spend a whole show talking about all of the infringements. We can even start with bump stocks. Yeah. Okay. That has to stop. So it's one thing. Number one, we'll start with red flag laws. Yes. I have an opponent right now in the primary who dropped in here from D.C. by way of – actually from California by way of D.C. who early on in this process said, well, um, you know, red flags are – red flag laws aren't the best thing, but I, I suppose I would consider a proposal. Uh, no. No. Red flag laws are a constitution killer. They infringe in your second, your fourth, your fifth, your fourteenth amendments just for starters. So I've said – any red flag proposal, and, and let me tell you what, I have read hundreds of proposals from local municipalities to what's being proposed at the federal level. They're all garbage. Yeah. They're all garbage. They're all terrible. Every one of those goes right in the shred box, and it's a, it's, a, it's a no vote for me every single time. There is no consideration to it. The issue is mental health, by the way. It's not the guns. I agree. Um, but beyond that, we have all of these infringements that have been little by little by little. The the anti-gun people understand that you're not going to – they're not going to take people's guns away immediately. They're going to chisel away at it little by little by little and set precedent for it. Red flag laws are another way to do that. That's why they're so dangerous. So we have to start not only stop these infringements, but we have to start attacking the infringements that are already there and start rolling these things back. And I, like I said, we have a, a whole – laundry list and i posted a list on uh, social media a few times yeah and i've had people say this isn't long enough there's there's this <laughs> and there's that there's the, and, and they're right yeah but it, you got to start somewhere and you got to start making the case look this is ridiculous let's let's pull back let's let's line item this let's amend this bill and, and eliminate this entirely but you have to take that fight there and again that's one thing that's not going to be easy because you've got republicans not just democrats are saying no we we really should have that and this is a this is a, to me it seems like it's a non-negotiable issue with you. Yeah, it's a non-negotiable Red issue. Red flag on the desk, out, yep. gone. Uh, the second amendment is the it, it's the second amendment on purpose. You have the first amendment, your freedom of speech, freedom of, of assembly, but your second amendment is there to protect the whole thing. That gives us the American people. When you go back and read the Federalist Papers, there was basically two arguments. One is, well, we don't want a standing militia because they just those patriots just had to deal with the redcoats. All right, so we don't want standing militias at our doorstep. And the other side said, well, um, if we arm the people, those are the militias. That is the militia. So the Second Amendment basically says, look, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. 
but it also says a well-regulated militia. Well, when you take all of the guns that are out there in our country, the American people make up the largest army on earth mm -hmm. that has ever existed. When hunters go in the field to go deer hunting, and I'm one of those. 700,000 in Michigan. In Michigan alone, we are one of the largest standing armies in the world. But it's there in purpose. The whole intent behind the Second Amendment was to defend the people against a tyrannical government. Yeah. And so it's not about the hunting. It's yeah. not about uh, self-defense. It's about making sure that that is our leverage. That's our leverage to say that the elections will go on as promised. We're going to have our vote. And you will represent us as we have spelled out or we're going to overthrow the government. That's what Thomas Jefferson talked about. That's what the founders talked about. That's the whole intent there. You lose that and there's nothing to stop tyranny. Nothing. Nothing at all. Well, if you lose that, it it it, 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 it can enable the other side to overthrow the government. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so people that want – I mean look, look what's happening now. Well, they're, sure. I mean they're fundamentally trying to change our government to to – Instead of having a system where you know our system has worked out pretty well with their electoral mm -hmm. college, and they want to change the popular vote, they want to do all sorts of crazy things. But this has just kind of worked out. It's been f back and forth, back and forth, and people like you and I realize that. Yeah, our views are fifty percent. Like I said before, fifty percent of the country, and there's another fifty percent that disagree with us. And we mm -hmm. have to we have to respect that too. Sure. But when I see the game being changed, so that like people like you and I's views, and they're and they're trying to manipulate them so they can just. Take yeah. off. It's like you said earlier. If you, if you don't fight and you keep capitulating, they're going to just well. Let's look at what we up. have right now. So we have we have a, a group of people out there yelling to defund the police. Can you imagine that? Let's pretend. Let's pretend for a second that our Second Amendment was already stripped away, so it was illegal for anybody, any law-abiding citizen, to have a firearm. Now the criminals are going to have them anyway. That's a whole other argument. But let's take away all of law-abiding citizens' firearms or the ability to have to have them or possess yeah. them or use them. Okay. Now you have a faction saying defund the police. So now you get rid of the police force. What do you suppose is going to happen? And people say, Mike, that's just crazy. That'll never happen here. Oh, really? Okay. Well, look at what happened in Venezuela. Look at what happened back in the 90s. What they, happened in Russia? Well, look at – closest to home is Venezuela. Yeah, they, I know look, that. And here's what they did. They had something similar, not quite as, as um, strong as our Second Amendment, but they had the right to bear arms. They had the um, – the privilege to bear arms, I suppose, that was stripped, and shortly thereafter, they suspended their constitution. I hear that from a lot of people. Have, have you heard it? When I when I discuss with people in, in my age and a little bit younger, I've heard them tell me, that, "Well, the constitution is just a stupid piece of paper written this year, this many years ago. The, the founding fathers could never have predicted this. We need to scrap it. We need to scrap this." And it's like I hear them say, "It's a living, breathing document." No, it's actually not. No. no. No, no, it, no, it's not. But, you know, I hear that and I'm just like – Well, our Bill of Rights and our Constitution, it, the, the founders understood that our, our God-given inalienable rights um, are something special. And they're individual rights. They're, they're not collective. They're, they're individual rights and our founders put it down on paper. And it's never been done before. Never in, in human – the human experience has it ever been done before. So we're unique. But here's the thing. If we lose it, we don't ever get it back. Once you lose freedom, it's gone. It's gone. It, and, you, you have to, it's almost impossible to get it back. Well, you got to think of it this way. So thousands of years of civilization and, and now we have our country, the freest nation ever on earth. And there was nothing like it before it. There's nothing like it even now. You would think, well, 
other countries would have adopted something similar. They haven't. They haven't. If you travel anywhere, if you go to Europe, if you go to Mexico, if you go to Canada, if you go anywhere else in the world, it's not like this place. It's not like this country. No other place on earth is like this country. It's the best that's ever been. Why wouldn't we fight for it? Why wouldn't we want to protect that? And But there are people that are trying to destroy it. They believe that our country was founded illegitimately. Yeah. They they believe that our they, – they think that our Constitution and Bill of Rights are a roadblock to their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And they want to see it gone. And this isn't anything new. If you read history, before the ink was even dry on the Declaration of Independence, there was pushback. Then you have the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. They were already fighting those things then. And now it's got to a crescendo. And we've got to have patriots that are going to step up who understand this and not just stop it but defeat it. That's what I'm doing here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I Believe me, I know. That's, uh, that's, that, uh, you know, I, if – you know, I was I was going to mention this earlier. You know, people ask me, "Am I Republican or Democrat?" And I just started to stop answering. I said, "Well, technically, I'm leaning Republican now because my views line up more." But my party is unapologetically American. Yeah. It's always going to be that. Uh, you know, parties may if, if the party starts shifting and gets all crazy, I, who knows where my vote's going to be? But it's always going to be number one towards where the Constitution should be. What's best for the American people? Like I, I, half the time, I don't vote in my, my own self-interest. I vote for what's best for the American people. Yeah, it, it's really peculiar because, you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you, you guys are conservatives, you're Republicans, and you guys are just voting for yourselves to it's because it's going to line your pockets with money." Like you, <laughs> we're not going to line our pockets right. with money if, if we elected. You want to if you ever want to try to identify a real swamp dweller, this is what you, and you're and you're running for office. This is what you tell them. You tell them that I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative, and then I'm a Republican. Christian first, conservative second, Republican third. And you watch their face because that tells them everything they need to hear. This guy isn't just going to tow the party line. No. The party line, the party needs to tow conservative principles. The party needs to stay within the confines of the Constitution. And when the party strays from that, then we're going to have a problem. But it goes in that order. And it's people first. It's God, the Constitution, and the people. That's your that's your Trinity right there. If that isn't first, what are you doing? But there are people within the party, and this is both parties. This is this is Republicans and Democrats. They don't want that. They want party line folks, and that's what I've been battling for the last year and a half, even Uh-oh. in this this primary race, is uh, battling those who will be a puppet versus somebody who actually can think. They just want to control. And and like I've told them, look, I'll play ball, but. We're going to stick – and by the way, the Republican platform is a conservative platform. And I've heard some Republicans say that the platform doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it does because if you don't have core principles, if you don't have something like our constitution that you're going to stand on, you'll, there's an old country song. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. That's why our president had such a hard time the first two years of his term when we had a Republican-controlled house. There was so much we could have got done, but you had Republicans out there that did not want to go along because they didn't like the guy. Well, okay, so you forget your constituents, forget the Constitution, and you're going to play politics as usual. The people of this country and of the state don't have time for that anymore. And look at the mess we're in because of it. It's. Well, I was telling somebody today, I think we're going to be in trouble for a minute. Yeah. And so we need to. We need to. I can't see. I can't see. Any scenario where it would make sense to elect progressives right now, 
with overregulating. They're going to overregulate the economy when we need to deregulate to stimulate it. Yeah. We're going to need to, to to get money into businesses so they can stay uh, afloat, so they can pay have paychecks for their for their employers or their employees. And, and like like I mentioned, the trickle down effect before, right. so for, through the supply chain, through the truckers, through the insurance, through the insurance industries. Just for the example I gave with Ford, so. Uh, let's touch base on uh, number six, and this is where you know you and I have a little bit of disagreement, but it's not; it's semantics. Mm-hmm. Uh, protect the unborn and the voiceless. Uh, protect the sanctity of life. I stand for the unborn, born, and the voice. Yep. So, talk to me about that. Oh, those without a voice. So, tell me about that. It, it, I, obviously, that comes from your Christian faith. It does. And so, yep. tell me uh, what, what what your plans are. Well, I hear the argument all the time that well, it's and, and as women will say, well, it's my body, my choice, but the. As a Christian, I believe that conce- that uh, life begins at conception, mm-hmm. first of all, first and foremost. So it's not just you. There's two of you to think about. On the flip side, I'm all for medical freedom. In fact, I was endorsed by uh, Michigan's medical freedom and uh, vaccine choice. I'm all about you taking care of yourself. You have the power and the freedom to make medical decisions for yourself. But when it comes to a life, um, well, you know – I'm just not in a position to have the baby, so I'm going to abort it. Okay, wh- why would you do that? Um, well, it, it's it's my choice. It's my prerogative. Okay, um, when does that stop? We look at what Virginia did here a few months ago. They were talking – the Virginia governor was talking about giving mothers the option to terminate the baby, baby after it was born. Um, as soon as you are born, you fall under the, the protection of the Constitution of the United States. You are a U.S. citizen. But the state of Virginia wanted to make it okay to murder that child. That's just wrong, and that's sick. Yeah, it is. And but if you're a Christian, you believe that your God. God says, "Look, I, I knew you before you were born. Uh, I knew you in the womb. You're there. You're you're a life. Uh, there's no scientific data to 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 tell me that um, a cluster of cells isn't a life. And from a Christian point of view, if you're terminating that that initial spark, uh, you just committed murder. Um, what about all the kids, people that want to adopt kids that can't have kids? Uh, why are we Why are we killing so many? Right now we have a big push, Black Lives Matter. Look at what Planned Parenthood is doing to the black community. Abortions are skyrocketing. Well, I think last, last statistic I saw, 435,000 a year. It, it's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. You know, um, so that's that's a big deal to me. And, and it, but it's it's on more of a personal level. Our son, okay. Uh, when I met my wife, our son was two years old, and special needs, and she was a single mom, and she said um, that she was approached several times by doctors when she was pregnant with Zach um, that she should abort because he was going to have issues, and she didn't do that. And our son is probably one of the finest human beings to ever walk this earth. He's, he's uh, just a, a loving, smart, great young man. Um, so what about all those other lives that would be just like that? Yeah. So that's I, where I that comes from for me. Yeah, that's, you know, and I absolutely agree with that. You know, you know, like, like I said, my, I have the same personal beliefs as you, but how strong I am against – Government interference in healthcare—that's—that's mm-hmm. that's the only difference. Yeah, um, I mean, I—I'm just—I get sickened by four hundred thirty-five thousand. Well, if, and let me just say this though: it's—it's it's not just government interference in healthcare when it comes to that. If I said, you know what, um, I don't like you, and I'm going to shoot you in the head, well, that's my prerogative. I didn't like you, or I didn't want you in my space. I didn't want you in my life. It, it, it's my choice. Well, there's laws against that. Yeah, 
And if I were to do that, I go to prison or I get, uh, depending on what state I'm in, I can face the death penalty for doing that. Mm-hmm. But yet, um, a person can make a decision, well, um, this baby just isn't right for me, so I'm going to go ahead and terminate it. Uh, that doesn't work. So it's not necessarily the government involved in, in medical issues. It's the government involved in saying the law is the law, and if murder is murder. And if you commit murder, then you'll face the consequences for that. Fair enough. Cool. And then um, – oh, sorry. We got about five minutes left and I wanted to uh, give you some encouraging data. You know, I'm, I'm a data freak. Uh, first of all, I want to point out that Mike has been – and we're going to hit me on some of the things I, I missed here because I couldn't get them all. Mm-hmm. Mike has been endorsed by the Michigan Right to Life, the Michigan Heartbeat Coalition. And the only candidate to be endorsed by both of those groups. And those are two opposing groups. And I'm the only candidate who's been endorsed by both. Gotcha. And you got the Michigan Health Choice Alliance, yep. the Ballage Budget Amendment, the National War Council, uh, former Senator, State Senator Patrick Colbeck, mm-hmm. America Sheriff David Clark, Pastor Christopher Toma. Uh, I can't say his name. Zaron. Zaron. Theron. Theron. Yeah. Theron X. Theron X. Uh, a conservative radio host. Yep. Uh, Bob Duco. That's correct. Right. Yep. Um, and who else am I missing? A bunch. I know. I know. You, 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 you literally got you got endorsed you know by what? so many people. But a lot of the people that have endorsed though are these are not big big names, but these are these are people that are important in the community. Yeah. And a lot of these people don't endorse. They just yeah. don't because their their criteria criteria for what they're looking for is so stringent. So to get endorsed by these groups and these individuals, uh, like Sheriff Clark for Milwaukee. Um, it was a great event. It, oh, it was a great event. It was a great and, event. And Patrick Colbeck. I mean, these are Mark Gurley from uh, Heartbeat Coalition. And he's the former grassroots chair for Michigan Republican Party. Um, uh, Cindy Holland. She's another yeah. women's federation. Well, yeah, of course. I knew Cindy. Um, Little Pitbull. Yep. You've got Terry <laughs> Whitney with North Oakland County. But these are people that are just uh, – they exude um, integrity. Yeah. And you can count on if they tell you something, it's, it's, it's the God's honest truth and they're going to do what they say they're going to do. So to have these endorsements from these people, it's, it's humbling. It really is. Oh, I bet. And it's, 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 um, it's quite a weight on your shoulders to have people like this that, that have gotten behind you and they, they expect you to perform. I, mean, I remember Sheriff Clark said he's going to be watching. He'll and come he, back he, and he will clobber me. Out. Yes. Yeah. Yep. He's a big dude. So uh, I'm, I'm going to – I didn't realize how tall he was. Yeah. When he said, he said, I dare somebody to come up to me and try to knock off my MAGA hat. And I was like, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. So when I wear my, my Trump mask and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, because you, you ever notice the violence that happens with people like that? Oh, yeah. It's always the weak people. Yeah. It's always it's, – it's never someone like me who's five, you know, five ten two fifty. It's not going to be Sheriff Clark. But yep. Any, yep. anyway, I want to leave, leave this some, some, some good numbers. Because we we all know how primaries can be. I think we have a very, you know I think I really feel like we have a good chance of winning. Oh yeah, and so for sure. Um, you know, there's crazy polls out there, but um, I I, pull, I was reading something through the Cato Institute, and I'm just going to read it. Liberals are divided on political expression. Strong liberals stand out, however, as the only political group who feel they can express themselves, right? Extremely. <laughs> Without being repercussed. Nearly 6 in 10, 58 staunch liberals feel they can say what they believe. However, centrist liberals feel differently. A slim majority, 52% of liberals feel they have to self-censor. Um, yeah, self-censor, as do 64% of moderates and 77% of conservatives. That, so if you think about that, right – Number one, that automatically tells me there really is a silent majority out there. Oh sure, I know. I know you're going out in the district and you're talking to to, to centrist Democrats, moderates, mm-hmm. um, center right people, and 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 and, and um, you know your your base. And a lot of us aren't 
77% of conservatives aren't speaking out. So that, that's telling you right now polls are skewed. Oh, sure. And oh, you sure. and I know that. Yeah. And so what I found interesting about that is um, also, you know, especially in Livingston County, that, that's a very good sign for whoever comes out of the primary, mm-hmm. hopefully it being you, um, that I think you said it earlier, we're coming for you, Alyssa. Yeah. And, and yeah. Time's up. So I wanted to uh, – I just wanted to point that out because I, w- I was looking at that. Yep. And then uh, there was one other thing. Oh, there's the gap between like someone like myself who actually voted for Barack Obama the first time. I didn't vote for him the second time mm-hmm. and then went to, to be a Trump you know, voter, right? And I think it's about 70 – they did a poll. So about 75 percent of those people I think – like fifty five percent of them switched. Mm-hmm. Now it's up to seventy five, yeah. and none of them are going like back flip flopping, especially in the younger generation. Right. Well, and one of the things too is that you have uh, the, within the Republican Party, there's this thing of you need to, to pander towards the uh, left leaning Republicans, the or the left leaning independents. Well, for every vote that Republicans go after that are like that, they lose five conservative independents. They lose uh, people that are maybe disenfranchised from politics as usual. Mm. And we're, we're, we're different than that. You know, I'm saying, look, I'm a Republican because the Republican platform is, is the best way for me to get across what my values are. Um, but come to the table. Get involved. Vote. Yes. You've got to get involved. We have to change this 15 or 13 percent and bump it up. Let's make it 50 percent at the very at the very least. But but get involved. Be be a part of this, because there's when when you don't show up, we get Governor Whitmer, we get uh, Alyssa Slotkin, we get a mess. Show up and change this country. Absolutely. Get the Patriots in. So again, this was another episode of Trade Uncensored. Um, I just want to uh, announce a few upcoming guests. I have uh, my dear friend John Hart from the local marketing shop. We're going to take a break from politics next week. Talking about an awesome guy who developed the system to help real estate agents and mortgage loan officers develop leads through Facebook and social media. Uh, the following week, I have Jordan Genzo, a progressive, uh, running for uh, Livingston County clerk. I've known him for 30 years. He's a stand-up character. Um, and, you know, although we disagree on a lot of things, this show is Detroit Uncensored. I'm going to bring him on. We're going to talk about what the role of the county clerk is because many people don't know. And I want to give him a shout-out um, to, to really talk about what he's looking to do. Um, he's one of the few progressives that he, he, he just doesn't spurt out the typical, oh, you're a racist, this. He has well thought out arguments, and I'm looking forward to a spirited conversation with him. I'm sure it's, we're going to go back and forth, but he is an overall good guy. And then uh, we'll have some MMA fighters on here, some gym owners, and then we'll get back into politics as uh, we get closer to November. So, Mike, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Uh, no matter what happens, man, I, I, sometimes I think the process of elections is more important than the outcome. Yep. Um, I think you've right. done a great job. Thank you. Um, you know, let's, let's close out strong. Let's do it. August 4th, which is next Tuesday. Get out there. Yeah, get out and vote. Uh, by the way, I in the 11th District, I made my decision today. I'm voting for Kerry. So that's where I'm going to go. Awesome. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next week. And always check out our page, Detroit Uncensored, on Facebook. Thank you all.